What is up, everybody? Hey, we're going to be doing a podcast today. Uh, again, School of Ministry, and uh, going to be doing some recording out of our classroom time. Uh, the class is Church and Revival History, and uh, so we're going to get right into that in this next segment. Come along with us. Appreciate you joining us, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Appreciate it. Okay, so Church and Revival History will be in Acts chapter 1, and we're just going to kind of build a basis, you know, from uh, really, I would say this semester, we've kind of been leading up to this standpoint of of really the beginning of church history, if you will, what we would call church history, New Testament. We've been looking at principles of revival, we've been looking at uh, the different things, the manifestation of God's presence, we've been looking at the... The things that bring it. We were talking about uh, preparing an environment, okay, for revival, preparing an environment for a move of God. And also, uh, we're also going to see in these next last couple of weeks here uh, before Christmas break and semester changes, we're going to see and uh, in, in how, and this is also true in the stuff we looked at in the Old Testament, but the prepare, not just the preparing of the environment for a move of God revival, but preparing the vessel, okay? So, uh, we're going to look at that from the standpoint, and I'm going to do my best to kind of record some of this, put it on the uh, podcast, so if you can go back and listen to it at a later time, there'll be other recording. I don't mind if, if you record it. It's not like this is, you know, nothing nothing big. You know, we're just we're just trying to. So, um, anyways, the standpoint of this, we're going to start in Acts chapter 1, and in this first class today, and in our second class today, I'm going to I'm gonna pick up from where we, le- where we leave off this hour. But this hour, I just, I just want to, uh, let's build a foundation. And so we're, we've, we've spent this whole semester, we went, you know, 2 Samuel chapter 6, that's David bringing the ark in. We're looking at, we've looked at King Hezekiah and restoration, revival under him, a manifestation of God's presence, all that happening. We're talking about Old Testament context of God moving, restoring his people. Uh, you know, we looked at the prophet Elijah First uh, Kings chapter eighteen. Uh, again, a restoration of God's people, uh, the environment that brings a manifestation of God, and, and now we're coming into this New Testament, and this is this is where we are. This is what God's doing now, and this is God's mind now. He's not looking for a better plan. He's not looking for another idea. He's not looking for your idea or your plan or my plan or my idea. He's already got the pattern established, and you're going to see this. Uh, this morning, we've already got the pattern established, and the pattern uh, is, is it's tried and true. So we want to stick to the pattern of the Word of God, okay? So Acts chapter 1, we find that we pick it up in the fourth verse, and I, I'm going to take uh, uh, chunks of this. I don't want to go through line by line. We don't have time. I mean, if we did a line by line study of the book of Acts, it would literally, that would be a whole class that would be a whole semester class, really. That's really what they did. I don't want to go line by line. I want to take chunks, uh, chunks of context here. You should really, if you hadn't already read the book of Acts, you need to be reading it. You need to, you know, uh, start digesting some of that. So some of the things I want to pull out of the first chapter here real quick is verse number four of Acts chapter one, verse number four. Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but that they should wait for the promise of the Father, which he, uh, which saith he, ye have heard of me. 
Okay, so verse number four, we always get to the eighth verse. We always get to the eighth verse, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. We always, in Acts chapter one and eight, that's foundational. Uh, uh, we believe that, preach that. Uh, we can quote that. You should be able to quote that. But really, the verse that builds that context, and we, I want to put this in there because it's a principle uh, of, it's a historic principle of revival. It's a historic principle of a move of God. It stays consistent. Remember what I told you about uh, studying your Bible. When, when God introduces a principle that's connected to his nature because he doesn't change, the principle doesn't change. So when you find a principle in the word of God, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, modern day, we're talking about Old Testament, New Testament, Great Awakening, Azusa Street, the 10 revivals of the 50s, uh, the healing revivals of the 50s, uh, you know, whatever. The, the move of God that we would that we would characterize, that we know God moving, uh, there are principles that don't change. One of those principles here in the, in the fourth verse, and the fourth verse really sets up verse number eight, because the Bible said he commanded them. I want you to look at that right there. He, they being assembled together, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Commanded uh, literally here, this is not a suggestion, a command to all believers. Literally the word commanded there, it, 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 he's not suggesting to them, hey, it would be a good idea if you stayed in Jerusalem until you uh, received the promise of the Father. He's literally telling them, do not leave Jerusalem until you get what the Father's trying to give to you. Okay, He's literally he's giving them a command that needs to be followed and carried out. So what is the principle here? The principle is obedience. You will not have a move of God without obedience. Forget it. You mark it down. It's not going to happen. Unless, unless God's word and his commands is followed, you're, you're not going to see a manifestation of God in your life. Hang that up. It's not going to happen. Okay? Anything, anything you can see uh, or any claims to a move of God or manifestation of the Holy Ghost or revival, any claims on that that are detached from an obedience to the Word of God, that's false revival, that's false claims, that is counterfeit, it's not real. So a real test of, of a real move of God, a, a real um, a, a test of, of real, uh, that I would say the genuineness of a move of God or the genuineness of what's going on is, is, is their obedience to Christ there, Okay. So does that make sense? That is, that is uh, something we need to bring into our context here that we need to, it's foundational. Okay, obviously, verse number eight, I want to put that in there in, in context. Again, we're taking verses in here, we're putting them in a big context to look at it. It said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. I, I, I've preached this, I've said this, and I'm saying it here that when there is, it's a historical fact in the church. Whenever the church gets filled with God, there will be a manifestation of power. We've reversed the order and we, I heard an old preacher say this. He said, he said, the kingdom of God is not going to advance by our churches being filled with men and women, but by the men and women of our churches being filled with God. Okay. So we reverse that order. Let's get the church house filled with people and then let God move. That's not the environment that God's going to move in. He, he's looking to occupy the vessel. He said, ye shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. This is different. 
Again, this is a little doctrine, if you will. I'm going to mix this in here. But you should understand, filled with, when you're filled with something, there's room for nothing else. It's not... This is, this is a place that takes over your life. This is a place where God becomes priority. This is a place, uh, you, know, you know, they're operating from a place of fullness. There's not something else trying to, they, they, what he's telling them in the verse number eight is, is get rid of all the competing interests, okay? Uh, you shall be, receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You're not going to have a power before that, but you need to have the power of God working in your life that comes through the Holy Ghost and that comes through this time of being filled with God. Okay? I want to ask you, you know, people, this is a rhetorical question. Don't answer this. Uh, don't raise your hand, you know. But when was the last time you were truly filled with power from God? When was the last time you prayed through? I don't, I don't mean at youth camp two years ago or five years ago or youth camp here or this camp meeting or that. When was the last time you personally prayed through to a move of God in your life. You should answer that question. That needs to be something between you and God. But my point is this, is that effective, historically, the, the vessel of revival that is effective is the vessel that's full. Historically, the vessel of revival that's effective. God's people are the most effective when they are full of God. It's not going to work any other way. So you, you understand that that God's looking. So if I'm, historically, this is where we need to get. If, if this is the pattern that they had, that Jesus said, listen, don't leave Jerusalem until you're filled, until you're full. Don't, don't try to go out and do without first being filled with God, being filled with, let him occupy the temple. That's what basically what verse 8 is talking about. God wants to be. He's never had a temple that he didn't fill. And the history of the Bible, the redemptive history of the Bible is God... Uh, coming back into possession of his original desire, his original plan was to occupy the human uh, nature uh, and let, let man be his temple. Octi to abide with man. That was his original intent from the garden. It's, 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 that intent is recaptured and reclaimed at Calvary, reclaimed at the finished work of the cross, and, 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 and he perpetuates that through an infilling of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost baptism, this is a little doctrine here. You can write this down. People say, well, you get it all at, at salvation. This being filled with the Spirit, Spirit here is different than when they were, uh, uh, when they received the Spirit of God in John 20. Okay? Okay? When you get saved, you do get you do get the Spirit unto sonship. You are able to cry out Him, call Him Abba, Father. You're able to to call him your child of God. This doesn't being baptized in the Holy Ghost doesn't make you more saved. It doesn't make you doesn't make you a better Christian. So well, this is the verse number four and eight is where the good Christians are. That's not what this is talking about. It is just going to the next level of obedience. If you want to prepare and make an environment for for historically, if you want to make an environment for God to move in historically then you need to have the you need to have obedience and you need to have a heart that's filled with God there needs to be these things he, he wants to prepare the vessel is, is what this is talking about so don't confuse the two uh, terms in John 20 when he breathed on the disciples and they received the spirit that's not the baptism technically if you want to you want to put it in 
uh, we would say that was when they were re regenerated, if you, if you want to call that. They were operating. Uh, understand that Jesus in the Gospels before Calvary, he's still basically in the Old Testament. You understand that? He's still operating under the law. Do y'all understand that when we read our Bible, we look at we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we say that's New Testament, and it is New Testament. But when, as far as God's working is concerned, the pivot points Calvary in the resurrection. Okay, the pivot points when He changes from the blood of bulls and goats, and He changes to the blood of Christ. You understand that that's where that's where God pivots everything when He takes the blood out of the holy place on earth and He sprinkles it on the mercy seat in. You know, like he said in Hebrews, okay? So that's the pivot point. So in the Gospels, when Jesus is doing these miracles, he's doing it as an Old Testament man, if you will. John was the last Old Testament great prophet, John the Baptist. You understand? So the Old Testament, the principles of the Old Testament work all up to Calvary. Christ pays the price. He, he, he pays the penalty of sin. Is resurrected. Moves into that, and okay, now we're talking about a different, different dispensation we're talking about. So that's why John 20 is a little bit different. It's Christ resurrected. He's working from a standpoint of resurrection, and there he breathes on the disciples. And basically, he's bringing his church, his disciples, out of the Old Testament, if you will. And they're walking with him in the Old Testament. Sense. But now that he's resurrected and already paid the price of Calvary, you understand that now he breathes on his disciples. They're experiencing regeneration, if you, if you want to look at it that way. I don't think it hurts anything theologically to look at it that way. That's why John 20, when he breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Ghost or receive the Spirit. Uh, that why, that's why that's different than, than why do they need to be filled with the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts? That's why it's different. Do y'all get that? Okay, so that's why we're in the book of Acts here. So they go from John 20 and they still need to be endued with power. So that tells me I, as a New Testament believer, after I've been regenerated, after I've received the Spirit of God, at salvation as far as sonship, as far as walking with him, I, I need to be filled with him. Baptized in the Holy Ghost literally means to be immersed. The word baptized means to, they, the Greeks would use it, the Greek word, it was always used for a ship sinking at sea. Okay? To baptize literally, literally means to be totally immersed in. God wants to baptize you. He wants to totally immerse you in the Spirit of God. That, that's what that's talking about. That is the concept that's introduced to the New Testament believers in the book of Acts. That is the historic context of revival and a move of God in the New Testament sense. That's what we're talking about here. So he says, he says that you shall receive power. We've got to have the, that power. Okay, and then it goes through some administrative stuff in the first chapter. Uh, I don't want to get into all the how they, uh, the, this good study. Uh, you know how they, uh, the election of Matthias and, and, and taking uh, Judas Iscariot's place. Uh, you could say they set, they're setting things in order to get ready to go to the upper room. They're setting things in order. They knew that somebody had to take his bishopric, if you will, as they said, you know, King's English. Okay, uh, they knew that had to, that was prophesied in the Book of Psalms that that he would be the son of perdition, uh, be lost. Uh, if you will, and then somebody had to replace him. So they're, they're doing that at the, the end of chapter 1, okay? And so uh, chapter 2, go ahead, brother. Why, why did he have to be replaced? I couldn't have 11. Just, just simply, why couldn't they have 11? Just simply because the Lord expressed his intent for his replacement already prophesied in the book of Psalms, so the word of God is going to be fulfilled. It really is a fulfillment of the word of God. It's okay. a good question. 
So why not just do it 11? Why not just do it 12? Well, so the Lord expressed his intent to replace him because of his, his fall, his failure. And uh, talking about Judas Iscariot. And they, they knew that the word of God is going to be fulfilled. So it's, it's God uh, fulfilling his word. So that's important. Really, it's important uh, in the sense that God wants to fulfill his word. If we're going to have, uh, historically, God's going to move in revival, there's going to need to be fulfilled in his word. We need to, again, they're following the word of God here. You understand that? They're looking to their Bible. This is Old Testament, which would be uh, the Septuagint, if you will. That's the, the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament. That's what they had as a Bible. It was the Law and the Prophets and Psalms. That's what they had as their Bible. And of course, they're, they mean, they're not in the book of Acts reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John right now. What are you reading? You understand that? You know? I know people, we, we, you understand that. They're still reading their, their Bible. What they consider the Word of God is still what we would call the Old Testament Word of God. They're literally making history here. So they knew from studying their Bible preparing their vessel, preparing themselves for moving God. They knew, they're studying the word of God. They knew through the study of the word of God that God said this, this, this needs to be done. We need to do something about this. And so they begin to prepare themselves, set themselves up in a place to see God's word fulfilled in their lives. I think that's important. I think if, if God said, and, and this is how it would let me play out in our, in our context, and here we're you know, 2,000 years removed basically from this event, uh, and we know that Bible, he said in the last days, actually Peter quoting the book of Joel, the second chapter, we're going to move to the second chapter now. Uh, Peter quoting the book of Joel, he said in the last days, he said, God part my spirit upon all flesh. So Peter in the second chapter basically says the last days has opened up. The window of the last days has been opened with the church moving into the book of Acts. And it's been opened even up, up, up to us now. We're in the last days because... Peter said so. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. God's left the door of mercy open, if you will. He's left that, that available, that move of God. And so they prepared themselves to see the word of God fulfilled in our lives. We should be preparing ourselves to see the word of God fulfilled in our generation. So you know from reading your Bible that it was prophesied in the Old Testament that God would pour his spirit in the last days upon all flesh. It happened in the book of Acts chapter 2. And it needs to be perpetuated through the New Testament church. So you and I need to be making sure that we're doing our part to see God's work fulfilled in our life. That's historically what we need to be doing to see uh, the vessel of revival prepared and that environment for God to move in go on. Okay, It's preparing yourself to see God's word fulfilled. So we move into Acts chapter 2. Obviously, this is classic scripture. This is classic... Uh, um, this is classic... Um, you know, you've heard chapter chapter two, verse one. When the days of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. Pentecost literally is we don't look at it as a denomination or a movement right now. Pentecost means fifty. Okay, y'all understand that? If you don't know that Pentecost, this is fifty days when the day of when the fiftieth day after the Passover. That's what this is talking about. On day number fifty after the Jewish Passover. The day of Pentecost. That's what this is. So I, just in case you didn't know that, I know you're thinking that when the day of Pentecost was fully, and it's, it's, it's you know, at, it's Pentecost. With, that's kind of in our lingo, you know, Pentecost. That's, but if you look at it in the biblical sense, it just means 50, 50 days after the Passover. And, and it was fully come. They were all in one accord, one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mind. Did you not hear this word suddenly in when we studied 
King Hezekiah and revival. The revival during a month. These things were done suddenly. Some people weren't ready. Some of the priests weren't ready because it was done suddenly. They had consecrated themselves. They had to do a lot of it the second month uh, because it was done suddenly. God moved suddenly. You need to be prepared for God to move suddenly. So if something happens suddenly in your life, then that means you need to be ready before it gets started because this happened suddenly. The day of Pentecost would come they were, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. God, when God's ready, he's going to move. That is a historic fact. That is a historic principle of revival. Many people don't get on in on what God's doing because they're not ready. Many people do not get in on what God's doing because they are not ready. And when God gets ready to move, you've got to be ready to move. That, that, that is a principle. Old Testament, you look at when they left Egypt, Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus, when they're going into the... Uh, you know, they're going into the wilderness, pillar of a fire by night leading them, a, a, a cloud by day leading them. When that cloud moved, they had to blow trumpets, gather, assemble everybody. Everybody needed to know their job, what they're taking up, their tents, the tabernacle, whatever they're doing. They got to, I mean, God's moving. They got to go with it. They can't be, you know, it's not time out. Okay, it's not. Well, God would never, well, hold on, God. When he doesn't move on your... When the day of Pentecost was fully come, and suddenly there came a sound from that lets me know God's not on your timetable. God's not, He's not on your time frame. He, when He gets ready to move, He's gonna, He's gonna move. I want to, He does it suddenly. You need to be ready to move. We see that historically as a historic fact from the book of Acts. God did this and it was done suddenly. Okay? Something from the first chapter that I, I want to throw in here. And, and we find this to be true in uh, we find it to be true in um, first in the Corinthians. Paul mentioned this. Paul mentioned in Corinthians that five hundred people saw him go. There was five hundred witnesses. Okay, so in Acts chapter one, when he's when you see the red letter in your Bible, and he's telling them, "You shall receive power. Don't leave Jerusalem." And uh, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing? This same Jesus that you've seen go shall so come in like manner. That's, you know, he's going to come back again. Is what, you know. So there's, the book of Acts chapter 1, there's 500 people that are listening to this. Only 120, Acts chapter 2, make it to the upper room. Why? Where's the other 380? They weren't ready. It was done suddenly. They weren't ready. This is not a game. This is not God getting on your time. This is not you. Get ready now, guys. You understand that? Get ready now. Don't waste opportunity. Okay? You have opportunity now to prepare your vessel for ministry. You have opportunity now to prepare yourself for revival. You have opportunity right now to prepare yourself for what God wants to do. And you know God wants to do it because His Word said He wants to do it. You know He's going to pour out His Spirit because He said He's going to pour out His Spirit. So get ready. Get ready for what God wants to do. Okay? So that's a, an idea. Paul literally said 500 people saw him go. We know Acts chapter 2, there was 120 in the upper room. I want you to just think about that for just a little bit. Again, classic scriptures we know. And there appeared in them cloven tongues like as in the fire, came and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with, that's baptized. This is the fourth verse is the fulfillment of the eighth verse in the first chapter. It is also the fulfillment of, of Luke chapter 24, verse 49. This is the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. He's pouring out his spirit. Okay? 
Okay, this is this is something God's doing something here. He's fulfilling what he prophesied he would do. God fulfills his word. He's going to fulfill his word. When they begin to speak with tongues as the spirit gave the utterance. Again, this is I published. I don't want to get bogged down in this, but it says as the spirit gave the utterance. We're not teaching people speaking tongues. Okay, obviously, tongues here was the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Now, this is not a doctrine class. We're talking about history, but I got to say this, guys. Look, I mean, you're going to see this throughout the book of Acts, even implied when it doesn't say tongues. That when they got filled with the Holy Ghost, they spoke, they spoke in tongues, okay? It is the initial physical evidence. I know there's people who say, it's not any of the gifts the Spirit will do. To each his own, it doesn't hurt your salvation. I don't think if you believe it's something... Uh, uh, there's many, been many great men that believe that it wasn't just tongues. It could have been any of the gifts. There's been many great men that did something for God that didn't believe that just like I did. Just like, don't believe just like I do. I believe it's tongues. Some say it's something different. Uh, I believe Tozer didn't believe it was tongues. I believe uh, 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 T. Austin Sparks didn't necessarily believe it was just tongues. Uh, matter of fact, he says that in his books. Um, I, I don't know that... Uh, Leonard Ravenhill, I don't know if he believed that it was the initial physical evidence was tongues. It doesn't matter. They're great men. Does that take away from them? No. Does that mean they weren't saved? No. Friend, don't get in this mentality that because somebody's not just like you that, well, they must not be saved. That That is the most stupid, arrogant, quick, don't don't be arrogant like that. That 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 you've got this whole corner of truth and it, it's, you got it. And if you want it, you got to come to me. That's dumb. That's extra dumb. Okay, but we believe this because throughout the book of Acts, it is implied, at least in a said and implied, they spoke in tongues. It's, ob it's obvious, okay, not making a big deal out of it, but it does say, as the Spirit gives the utterance. Did you have your hand up? You just, yes, you go ahead. Um, in our Pentecostal fellowship, or not in our fellowship necessarily, but yeah. in the Pentecostal church, we have people that they speak in tongues, but you look into their life and you look at the way they act and it doesn't show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the fruit is really not there. Right. And uh, so, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, but like, to the people that are like seeking the Holy Ghost and they see that as bad example and they're, and they're thinking, is this really real? Yeah. You know, is this really speaking in tongues real like the Holy Ghost and everything? And I just have a hard time trying to explain that to somebody because it's not just speaking in tongues that the Holy Ghost does to you. It's obviously absolutely way much deeper and more. Mm -hmm. and, but like, yeah, being being able to explain that to somebody, how would you do that with people that are living, you know, living a separate life or not separate life necessarily, but like not a consecrated life in Christ. Mm -hmm. They're not consecrated. They're not sold out. But you hear speaking tongues. I would. I would start. There's there's probably several angles on that, and, and again, we could we could spend a lot of time on that. There's probably several angles on that, but I, I would definitely say, okay, again, it says as the Spirit gives the utterance. Just because somebody is speaking tongues, is the Spirit really giving? There could be memorized. They can memorize something. They can they can obviously repeat something they've heard, or something they actually an experience that actually had happened to them at one time, but it's not fresh now. They're not. They don't have a fresh consecration attached to a fresh obedience. A fresh obedience attached to a fresh prayer life, you know that kind of thing, and so uh, I, I would to keep it as simple as possible. I would tell that individual. And this is what I've told people: don't make man the basis. Don't look at somebody else's life and say, "Well, I see them; they're not really sold out, but yet they they seem to be Pentecostal speaking tongues or, or, or other manifestations of the Spirit." 
This is textbook. Your question really is textbook Corinthians. It's really textbook Church of Corinthians. The Church of Corinth had tongues. They had all the gifts. Matter of fact, they had all the gifts. Isn't that right? Yeah. Paul even said that. But but there was all kinds of stuff in that church that was being dealt with. So the the mark of the believer is really not the manifestation of the gift. It's the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. So I would emphasize the fruit of the Spirit, not just the gift. Tongues, is it real? What did they say? And the answer is absolutely. Absolutely, God can move on somebody. Listen, just because somebody's not living a, I'm going to say this, this is going to sound kind of counterintuitive, but if they're not living as, as consecrated or sold out life, I know that's a gray area to some degree. Are they really saved? Are they? I, I believe if they're, wherever they are in sanctification, if they're not truly sold out, does that mean God can still move on them? Absolutely. Old and New Testament, God still moved on people that you, that, you know, Still manifested himself. Look at King Saul. He manifested himself on King Saul several times. I mean, he and he was like, huh, you know, he would, but yet he did things that. But but so, so God, the prophet Balaam, and that that kind of gets into an area where God can still use you, but not approve of you. Yeah. You understand that? Yes. God reserves the prerogative to use an individual, but not approve of them. Mm-hmm. That that bothers us because that, you know, we we don't. We, we think, you know, that, may, that doesn't need to happen. We, like we, 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 want, we want that that going on. So, But God can still use. He doesn't do it all the time, but it can happen. So don't look at the individual. If, you, if, if I'm telling somebody, I would say, listen, don't make that person, you see this unconsecrated behavior or whatever's going on, don't look at them and make that the standard. Look at the Word of God. The Word of God says when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues, and it was real. And, and listen, if you're, that's important for you guys to continue to live a consecrated life. So when you come across these situations, you can say, listen, you can say, listen, uh, look at the Word of God and look at how it works in people that are really living so that it is real. You know? So again, the test of reality for the gospel, whether it's moving of the Holy Ghost, whether it's redemption, all these things, the test of the gospel in people's lives is going to be whether you live it. Okay? So, again, look at that and uh, keep it back on, put it back on the Word of God saying, listen, it's absolutely real because the, the Bible says it's real. So the Bible, the Bible is the authority. You understand that today? That's why... That's why we have the Word of God. That's why we have the Bible because it is the authority. We may see something going on in somebody's life. Is it questionable? Is it God? Is it not God? We may not know. Sometimes you don't know. And you're not always going to have the answers. But I know I can look at the Word of God and say this particular, this is real. And so I'm going I'm to keep on going with it as real. Again, things can happen under the guise of, uh, and, and again, this goes back to revival. We talked about Azusa Street. There were strange manifestations historically in revival. There's been strange things happen. I would say strange, but you, under, you get what I'm saying. There's things like ah, mm-hmm. what what's going on here? That that's not uncommon. Okay, that that, that has happened from here all the way Azusa Street, or even until now. He's ah, what? So don't get rid of what God is doing. You know what I'm saying? The whole things people have a tendency to say, oh, none of it's real. That that's unwise. Okay. So our part is to be a voice of reality and live something, live consecrated in your life. Okay, it's going to help. 
uh, truth is aided all it, it is a, a consecrated believer is always always helps the truth your if your lifestyle of consecration is always a help to truth <laughs> you know it always makes the message more believable okay so we move to Acts chapter 2 and we look at um, we look at, uh, and I've got, we got a few minutes here. Uh, historically, we said from Kenny, Brother Kenny Morris's book, uh, we talked about revival preaching and revival prayer. Y'all remember that? Again, Acts chapter 2, you see both of those things. What happened? Okay, Acts chapter 2, what are they doing? Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, they go to the upper room, they have their business meeting, if you will, they they're filling the word of God, the prayer in the vessel. Acts chapter 2, God comes in. You understand there's 10 days between Acts chapter 2 and chapter 1. Okay, there, there's 10-day time frame in here. They stayed in the upper room and had a 10-day prayer meeting. Again, this is a consistent principle from Old Testament, New Testament to modern day. If there's revival, it's always connected to a prayer meeting. It's, if there's revival, there's always connected to the altar. If there's a manifestation of God, it's always connected to some to the altar of some uh, principle, shape, form, or fashion. It's always prayer. You look at Acts chapter 2, again, that is a consistent principle that comes up over and over and over and over again in the Word of God. 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah had revival. He prepared the altar of the Lord. David Inquire of the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 6, bringing the presence of God back in Jerusalem. We went over all this. What did he do? He sought the Lord. He, there was prayer. It's all, guys, it goes, it's the same. Why do these principles keep coming up in the word of God? It's because these principles don't change. Because God has so chosen to connect these areas of truth to his nature. He's looking for people of prayer. Go ahead. That's the other thing about being revival. Just kind of like, like revival breaking out and stuff like that. Do you think revival can break out like one or two or three or even four or five, maybe just to go with them and just have like a three or four day of prayer and then just keep on like that and just really being persistent. I guess we've already talked about kind of like that's so the principle, like the, what we need for revival and stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you think that we, of course, we kind of feel like we kind of all need to be on one accord and that's correct? Yeah. So, so the, the question is probably maybe we could word it like this uh, What if only it's not full participation, only part? Okay, obviously. The answer, quickly, the, the short of the long is this, absolute positivity, yes. If just a few, historically, why? I know it's true because historically, Azusa Street was just a handful of people praying. Uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, instead of the 500 being in the upper room, there was only 120. There was only part of, you, you, you see that? Uh, the, the Hebrides revival, there was three or four uh, men and a couple of the elder ladies and the evangelists, so there's five or six people. Okay, uh, you look at the revival where Harvard, Yale, and uh, Princeton, those revivals, those schools started out of prayer meeting revivals. I don't know if you knew that or not, but Harvard, Yale, and Princeton were Bible colleges at one time. That's ridiculous to even think about today because they're like super hot beds of liberal thinking and, and like social communism today, but they started out as Bible colleges. And that's retarded to even think about. But, <laughs> but so you understand... But those, those move of gods are connected to what? Just a handful. They call, I think it was at Harvard, the Haystack Revival. A handful of students would go to the stable, 
the haystack and, and they prayed through God come down and met them. They weren't even Pentecostal people. They were Presbyterians, I think. Again, John Wesley, all these. It's a handful of people. Usually, historically, and Scripture meets this out, it's usually a handful that double down and, 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 and see breakthrough for everybody. So absolutely, they can. Does that, does, does that mean uh, that the people that didn't pray through didn't get in a revival? I don't necessarily think so. I think were the 380 in Jerusalem at that time, they just saw the words of Christ. Were they moved on by the words of Christ? I'm sure they were. They didn't make it to the upper room. Whatever happened, we don't know their situation. Uh, maybe some of them repented when they heard Peter's first preaching in Acts chapter 2. And, they, and maybe some of them uh, joined, joined back in later. We don't know. But yes, the handful or the remnant. It, this is the, the principle that you mentioned is the remnant principle. It is the principle of the remnant. Uh, God bringing his purpose to fruition through a small handful, a small group. That, that, that's over and over and over again in, in the Bible, and that, that is historically a fact. And so, yes, if there's two or three of you agree is touching anything, it shall be done. Okay, that's why that's in there. So if just a couple of you, if just a couple of you really pray through, if you really get a burden... If it actually happens in this school of ministry where just two or three of you students say, man, let's, let's find together fast and pray for seven days and revival, whatever breaks out, that, that's absolutely a, a consistent principle that's, that is possible in the plan and, and, and purposes of God. Go ahead, Brother Jake. Um, I think it was a Brother David Wilson that preached a message one time in FGC um, that he was talking about the 500, 500 and how yeah. Absolutely. Through. But he said that he feels like the entire word of God uh, is consistent with each other. That, you know, it says that people are going to come to heaven, to the throne room, and, you know, or to uh, the great white, you know, see the judgment. Yeah. They're going to say, well, we cast it out of you in your name. And they thought they were doing right. It's a good thought there. Absolutely. So he's, and, and, and I don't think that hurts anything. He's obviously connecting the 380 to Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus said, Many would come to me and say, Lord, Lord, in that day. Okay. Um, you could make the argument, I mean, Judas Iscariot was present and maybe even cast out devils himself. And you can make the argument. There's, that's, there's a lot of theology right there in that, in that thought. Do you, you understand that, what's happening here? And so that's, that's a good thought. And, uh, yeah, brother, brother Wilson. So, if you're listening, to brother Wilson, that was awesome. <laughs> so, but again, that brings that thought in into. Uh, did you have a question? No. That that brings that thought in as we look at that and, and, and say. So again, here in Acts chapter two, again another consistent thing is revival preaching. You see Peter's first sermon. Uh, we looked at prayer, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on prayer because we're going to try to make it. Uh, to the fourth chapter in the next class uh, and our goal is before Christmas break to make it to the 10th chapter Cornelius's house a lot of good stuff happening okay and we're going to try to like hit some big stuff all the way to the end of the book of Acts so this is foundational but again the reoccurring principle it reinforces what we've already heard we read Brother Kenny Morris's book that revival brings revival preaching Okay, we see that in the Word of God. We see it here in Acts chapter 2. 
Holy Ghost is poured out. Revival breaks out, if you call it revival. The move of God starts. What happens? Peter stands up. This is amazing. We're talking about Peter. This is the guy we all connect to failure. He's the failure. This is the guy we all connect to. He did this. He failed. Guys, I don't care how low you go or how much you feel like you are a failure in whatever God's called you to do or whatever. Look at Acts chapter 2 and look at the revival preaching. Who's the first guy that stood up and got used? It was the guy that said, I, I wouldn't have chose him. I wouldn't have chose Peter. I wouldn't have chosen. Peter stood up. Okay? Peter stood up. We, we like to connect Peter, and I understand we all do it. We connect him to his failure or his, you know, denial of Christ or his uh, sinking on the sea, so to speak. We do that. that. I understand that. But look, he's the guy that stood up. He's the vessel at Pentecost. He's the one that the Holy Ghost moved on and gave him an utterance and a voice. And look how powerful the preaching is. This watered-down, limp-wristed, sorry preaching you hear today of a lot of uh, uh, just everything that is either can't meet height all the time, it's constant trying to get people to a mountaintop. It's always it's like this constant shout. So you hear the same kind of get your praise on, get your thing, and then you hear this kind of nothing ever deals with anything. Look at Peter's preaching. Look at the content of what this man's preaching. What a word. What a word this is. He preached and, and, and thousands get saved. They come under conviction. What is the content of his preaching? What is the content of revival preaching? It was Christ and his resurrection. It was first-hand experience with the Savior that he could allude to, okay, connected to the Word of God. You need to have first-hand experience with Christ. That is effective preaching. Effective uh, a revival preaching comes from first-hand experience with Christ. You repeating just second-hand stuff or what happened here. We know, I'm not talking about going back and looking back what God did in the past and remembering that and telling people. That's not what I'm talking about. But you basing, it's like the seven sons of Sceva later on in the book of Acts. And they, the, the Jesus whom Paul preaches. that They're not intimate with Christ. They're, they don't have a relationship with him. That's not effective. We, we see that. Here, Peter prays through, gets full of the Holy Ghost. He, he, he's where he needs to be with God. Obviously, uh, we can't even look at his failure. Obviously, God's not looking at his failure now. He wasn't after This is amazing to me. Even Peter, even after the resurrection, just freshly after being denied by Peter, Jesus has Peter on his mind when he tells Mary to him. He said, listen, I go before my disciples in the, in the Galilee. He said, and go tell Peter too. <laughs> Peter's on. Listen, you're on his mind. We're on his mind. It's how I felt him here. I've done this. Friend, quit being condemned about your past. Quit being condemned about something. Move on with God. Peter, that's a wonder of revival preaching here. Peter moved on. He was able to move on. His past, if Peter is gripped and controlled by his past, his past is going to dictate that somebody else take the spot here. But Peter was moved on by the Holy Ghost. He didn't just stand up and say, hey boys, uh, excuse me, I'm the leader here. I'm Pope Peter. He didn't stand up. That's not what's going on here. Okay? That's not what's happening right here. Peter moved on by the Holy Ghost. Obviously, God wanted to say this. This needed to be preached. Peter realized it and he obeyed God and he stood up and he began to preach. This was a man. You understand them. It's as great of a miracle 
as what was said as who's saying it. You understand that? That is just as much power and to, it is just as much, you get just as much mileage out of what Peter said as, as who it is saying it. It's amazing what God does. This is, uh, Peter's a, just a great, great uh, thought and truth in his life to show us redemption, to show us God's forgiveness, to show us that he can use me or you if, if they're imperfection, friend. Let's be honest, there's faults, there's imperfection, there's something wrong with all of us. I'm not, and again, I'm not talking about you're unsaved, and I'm not talking about, and I'm, and I'm not making an excuse for sin, but I'm saying there's areas that God obviously wants to bring sanctification in. Let's let him do it. So look, you look here, Peter, God's working, doing a work in Peter, and now he uses him. Better to give you hope. Revival preaching, and there's thousands get saved here. Obviously, it stirs the content of the message and it wasn't just, listen, it's a short sermon. He's not up blathering and, and, and just rambling for hours. You know, the first, it's amazing to me, the first sermon of Pentecost, he never mentioned hair, he never mentioned uh, dress, he never mentioned, not that those things aren't real. I understand people have, people can have personal conviction. I'm not saying that. He never even got on, he, he, everything was about Jesus. And the Holy Ghost brought conviction through who Jesus was. The Holy Ghost brought conviction through what Jesus did. The Holy Ghost brought conviction through what Jesus wanted to do. So the title of the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. What they did for Christ after Christ was resurrected. And you see Peter moving on with this. Just sermon. I mean, you look at the end of the book of Acts, chapter 2. Just great stuff. And... We've got just a few minutes before we're going to transition over here. But uh, you know, Peter's message, he, he includes uh, Joel chapter 2. He includes Jesus' return, the content. His content included uh, Christ is the fulfillment of the Word of God. His content included the resurrection of Christ. His content of his message included the second return of Christ. See, you look at this. This is all game. This is all game on truth. This is all things that God wants it. If he said it at the beginning, he wants it said now. So, these are, these are truths we need to visit. You look at it. Therefore, being, verse 33, by the right hand of God exalted, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear from David. For David is not ascended in the heavens, but he saith of himself, The Lord saith unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thee thy footstool. Here's Peter using one of the stickiest theological conundrums from the Old Testament book of Psalms. Peter's quoting it the right way, preaching it under the unction of power of the Holy Ghost, giving the answer. You know, David didn't ascend into heaven, but Christ did. This is why David said, Sit thou on my right hand. He wasn't talking about David. David was prophesying of Christ. And Peter's preaching this. Okay? Peter, Peter, so what is that telling me? In a part of revival preaching, there'll be revelation. Peter obviously has revelation insight into the intent and purpose of the truth of God and of God's plans and purposes. And Peter's not coming up with something new. Peter is bringing to light what God already said. It's amazing. We need to look at this. 
He goes from there. So much uh, conviction. They said, what must we do? What do we have to do? And Peter, again, you know, he, he says, repent, be baptized, everyone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Uh, it's important that we understand it. The word for could have been translated because uh, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, because in the name of the Lord, for the remission of sins or because of the remission of sins. So I'm not getting baptized to get saved. I'm not getting filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm not getting baptized in water to get saved. It doesn't save me. I'm not getting filled with the Holy Ghost to speak in tongues to get saved. Okay, thief on the cross, this is this this brings heart to the word of God. Thief on the cross didn't get in water before he got saved. You understand that. A lot of people look at that and they say, oh, that's Acts 2.38 salvation. You know, my UPC brethren, Acts 2.38 salvation. You know, you got to speak in tongues and be baptized in water in the name if you're going to be saved. Well, the thief on the cross didn't have any of that. Now, you understand that. So, again... The word for there could have been translated, polish should have been translated because of the remission of sins. In other words, it denotes the idea that something happened and because of that, this is an outward sign of you doing this. Baptism, water baptism is an outward sign. Okay. Okay, for I just mentioned that. That was totally off subject. Anyway, so we're, we're going we're gonna to close this up and we're going to get into uh, chapter 3 and 4 here in the next class. And... Uh, they gladly heard the word, received the word of God. And uh, I want to I want to con uh, continue on in the next class, next hour. I think I'm going to have a break after this. Ask Brother Stephen what's going on. He's going to come teach a second year class up here or something like that's going on. And uh, But we will resume. I do believe uh, I'll ask Brother Stephen, but we'll probably resume after lunch break like we normally do. So anyways, be blessed, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Appreciate y'all coming along with us in the classroom. Uh, I know it's a little bit different form, kind of recording some uh, stuff we're doing in the school of ministry and, and classroom stuff, but uh, I enjoy it, and I enjoy teaching the class, and I kind of use this as a resource for the young people to go back and be able to review some of the content, some of the things said, if they miss something or whatever, and uh, hopefully uh, you guys get the benefit of it as well. So, Y'all tune in next time. We're going to put this on there, and then we'll get to the next one, and we'll see you guys soon.